you've got your Bible, we're going to look at Hebrews in a little bit. We're going to bounce around a little bit. I got some other verses you may want to jot down as well. I'm excited to get back into fall. Fall is my favorite season. Some people don't understand it. Isn't it all about death? Yes, it's about the impending winter that's about to come. And I love it. I love fall. I grew up in a climate where the leaves changed. And we were, you know, boring enough that on Sundays, regularly, for about four to five weeks in a row, our activity would be, we'd get in the car, we'd turn on the football game on the radio, and we'd drive around and look at leaves. Yes, you heard me correctly. We'd drive around and look at leaves. It's like watching paint dry, only slightly slower. (laughs) And we would do this from about mid-September through late October, and we'd comment on how much it was changing. And so because of those memories, because of that being my childhood I really do enjoy fall, and I love the change, and I love the seasons, and I love the fact that it draws people back that have been away, and it draws people in, again, to our church that are looking and seeking. Summer's a great time to celebrate. My wife is a summer person. She loves the sun and loves to be outside, and I love the thunderstorms that come late at night. And both are beautiful for different reasons. But I think sometimes the fall helps us remember that there's change coming. And winter's just ahead. And the storms are there. But God is still constant. And that winter leads us into spring, which leads us to new life. And that's a beautiful thing. Because that's what we're all ultimately seeking. But we don't get the beautiful spring. We don't get to appreciate that life without experiencing that cold and that death and that winter. And so as we approach fall and we're reminded of that, I'm going into a series today on kind of the vision and mission of our church. Some of you that have been around for a while know that three years ago, two churches combined to make one church. That was three years ago this week. And as a result, many people didn't make the journey with us. And and that's okay. But I cast a new vision and a fresh vision then that said, this is who we are as a church, and this is where we're going. And I did an eight-week series then on who we were and where we're going, and I'm doing that same series again. And I promise, it's not just a recycle. I'm not just pulling out the old message and speaking it again word for word. But it's the same themes. Because I want us to know who we are, because I want you to see that there is a greater vision for who we are called to be. And if we're going to get to what God has in store for us, we have to understand what our role is in that. So creating a safe place where people can discover God in an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. It's written on the wall in the lobby. You may not have known it, but just to the left of our information booth is a little chalkboard sign that someone made for me that says those exact words. That's who we are, and that's what our, that is our mission. And the reason we have that mission is because I embrace this vision. It is our vision to create a place where people can discover the kingdom of God and help them grow into that. The kingdom of God, to me, is bigger than just our church. It means from the beginning of history until the end of time, the kingdom of God is about having a relationship with Christ and coming into that relationship with Christ. And as we do that, 
People are invited in. And the beauty of the kingdom of God is it's not small. It's open. It's wide. It may not fit all of our political understandings, all of our personal ideas and desires. It may not fit all of that. But the kingdom of God, the doors are wide, and God is calling and beckoning people to come in. And the struggle we have in that is that once we're in, we want to make sure that the wrong people don't get in. So we start creating all these rules and all these guidelines and all these walls, and we start putting things up and say, you can't be in because you're not just like me. You don't look like me or talk like me or act like me, and you have to do that. And one thing I said years ago is, in order for people to belong to our church, they don't have to look like me, act like me, or talk like me. In order to get in, there's not that requirement. I invite everybody to come in, And then see if the Holy Spirit will do things and quicken in you and awaken things in you that begin to change you and soften you and mold you and shape you. Because God loves us so much, he takes us just as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. And so it's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. And I've had people come to me and say, Jeff, this is going on in our church. Why don't you confront it? Because I am not the Holy Spirit. I am led by and guided by the Holy Spirit. And I speak on things, and sometimes people say, boy, it was like you were preaching to me. And I'm always like, well, that's the job of the Holy Spirit, is to quicken and alive and convict you of things. So good, the Holy Spirit's doing his job. We know that he's still there. He's not gone, he's not asleep, and the things of the Holy Spirit are not passe. They are for us and they are for today, but it's my job to help you understand. So there's a few things... In order for us to get there, that we have to understand before we can really even start. And that is the first is, we must know that God has a plan for every person. You were created by God, and you have a plan and a, pers- and a purpose. Ephesians 1.4 says this, Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should, cho- that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, When you are living out love, that is how you're found holy and blameless. Not when you have the most righteousness and you can talk about how bad everybody else is. Some people forget to add that last part. They they like to say that we should be holy and and without blame before him. And then they stop it right there. But outside of that, in love, that's how we become holy and blameless. Now, some people say, Jeff, it seems like you don't have any guidelines or any rules for people that want to be a Christian and they can do whatever they want. Here's my take on that. Number one is, as much as I wish that I were, I am not God. And as much as I wish I could tell you I know all there is to know about God, that's not true either. Nor does anybody else. And anybody that starts telling you they have a corner on the market on theology that you have to do this and this and this, run from them. Because God is so much bigger that if a simple human can begin to understand everything there is to know and understand of who God is and about God, then they're deceiving themselves. God is too big for that. See, it's okay. We do know certain things about God, and we delve into, and we know that God is righteousness, which means by the very nature, he defines what righteousness is. But just because it doesn't match your sense of, well, we don't ever do this or this or this, Just because you grew up in the holiness Pentecostal movement that came out of the late 20s and you don't break, you don't play cards and you don't swear on Sundays and you don't go to, you know, places that serve liquor and you don't do this and you don't do that. That's great. Those are guidelines to help you. But that's not what God said. God said, be righteous like I am righteous. 
Be holy like I am holy. And you are on this quest, and you will not get there. But you don't give up on the quest. We don't get up on the pursuit. God has a plan for you, and that plan is that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. We must believe that God is in control no matter what the world throws at us. If we want to understand that we have a purpose and that we exist, we have to know that God is in control. We must know that as individuals, we have purpose, and we as a body, a congregation, a faith community, however you like to define that, we have a purpose. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. In other words, before, he's talking to Jeremiah, but he's speaking to all people. Before you were born, he knew you. He had a plan for you. He had a purpose for you. And he wants you to be a voice to the nations. He wants you to be a voice to those around you. He wants you to be a voice of uncompromising faith to the world. And the biggest problem that people have with the church today is not that we say we follow Jesus. It's that we say we follow Jesus with our words and our actions don't live it out. That's the biggest problem people have with the church in America today. We say one thing, but we don't really, we're inconsistent with how we live it out. We're inconsistent in our love towards all humanity. We're inconsistent in our actions towards all people. And when we do that, it doesn't matter what we say, it's what's seen that is noticed. In order for us to really understand, one of the truths we have to embrace is that we need to feel safe. If you want to be effective, you have to be safe. You have to feel safe to ask questions. You have to feel safe to discover truth. And I don't believe that there is, everybody has their own truth. I believe there is the truth. And that conflicts with some people's worldview. And that's okay. I'll still love them anyway. We need to feel safe to know that maybe I'm wrong about something, and I definitely may change my mind, my opinion, or my ideas about it. You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to call anybody out specifically. But how many of you would say that your thought process has changed over the last 15 to 20 years of who you are? Anybody else? Anybody else growing and learning? I look back, you know, just 25 years ago, 30 years ago. 30 years ago I was in high school. And I look at who I was in high school and think, wow, I am a different person than I was in high school. My thoughts have changed, my beliefs have changed, my ideas have changed, and yet I'm still pursuing God with who I am and what's in me. And that's okay. It's okay to grow and develop and evolve and embrace and learn and try to discover. Because the truth is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says it right up there on our banner. It's one of our themes but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So though I change, and though I learn, and though I grow, he is constant. And as long as what I'm learning and growing and discovering and working and evolving as a person points towards understanding him more, then I'm in alignment with what the scripture says, which is to be like Jesus. 
The very term Christian means I am going to be Christ-like. It was not originally coined as a compliment. In fact, Paul says, the world looks at you and calls you a fool because of the cross. Because of the cross, the world looks at you and calls you a fool. But to those who know, to those who have embraced it, it is our life. It is our purpose. It is our reason to exist. And so though I am growing and learning and developing, my hope is that I'm always becoming more and more and more like Christ. Am I going to attain that in this lifetime? I will never be equal to Jesus, no. But I can always work to be more holy and more righteous. And not so that I can judge those who aren't good enough, but so that I can show all those around me the truth of who he is. I can show them the way that we are called to go. And too oftentimes, we want to make it a, if I learn to do this, then everybody else has to also. If I've got to do it, everybody's got to do it. When I was growing up, on Saturday mornings, we cleaned our house. Anybody else have that Saturday morning ritual? So... I was assigned a bathroom, my bedroom, and I would have to dust everything. My sister would do the other bathroom, her bedroom, and vacuum everything. And it was the old, well, we're all in this together. Like it or not, love it or hate it, this is what we do. Now, if I had plans on a Saturday morning, then on Friday afternoon, I would go in, and I knew which chores I had to do, and I would do them, and I would make sure that my mom checked them, and then say good, I'm out of it on Saturday mornings. Otherwise, Saturday mornings, 7 a.m., we got up, we did our chores, took us not that long, and by the time we were done, then Saturday would be ours. Okay? So see, it's the old, if I'm in this, then we're all in this together. We're all going to make these improvements together. Too often times, we want to make everybody else in the church and outside the church follow my rules because this is what I have to do. And that's where the whole movement of the Pentecostal holiness movement went off. They were these people who came into this radical conversion experience in the late or early 1900s up to the 1920s, created a denomination that said, we're not going to be ritualistic Christians. We're going to be Christians that really live it out. But because of that, I'm not going to do this and this and this and this and this anymore. And now, in order for you to be in the club, you have to do the same things I do. So you don't go to bowling alleys, you don't go roller skating, you don't listen to jazz music, we all know where that leads, you don't do this, you don't do that. And so we made all these rules, but here was the problem. The next generation followed the rules, but didn't have the love of Jesus. They lost that passion for who Jesus was. So then we go through the Pentecostal, the charismatic renewal of the 70s, Holy Spirit's moving, people are getting saved, and the first thing we did... Instead of said, let's discover who God is. First thing we did is said, here's a list of rules. You've got to cut your hair and start wearing shoes. And why is your shirt that far open? And how many gold chains do you really think you need? <laughs> and beads? Really? And so instead of helping them discover who God is, we helped them discover a list of rules. And they went one of two ways. They either fully embraced them and changed everything about them and shut off the rest of the world from them. Or they said, not for me. I'm walking away. And I don't want anything else to do with you. Because I thought your God was about love. And that's what happened. And if you, you want to study the history, you can study the history of the people that got saved during the Jesus People movement, and those are the two camps they went to. The extreme, rigid, religious, or the, I tried this, forget it. I can't live by your rules. Instead of, let's take time to discover and know and learn who God is, so that I can make an educated decision about following Jesus. 
So if the truth is the same, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it's a reminder of hope that no matter the circumstances, Jesus still heals, Jesus still loves us, Jesus is still there, and it points towards his divinity and his resurrection. The very words in that verse, Christ, the Christ meant he is divine. So the very words of that verse say it points towards his divinity. His death without resurrection is meaningless. And so churches that today won't talk about the resurrection or don't believe in a physical bodily resurrection, I, I, I don't want to criticize, but I do want to say, why do you exist? I mean, certain things we can disagree on. We can disagree on whether how the six-day creation happened. And I've heard and read all the theories, and you can tell me yours, I'll smile and nod. Uh-huh. Okay. You can disagree on certain issues there, but if we don't agree on Christ's divinity, then what's the very purpose of us coming together? Because there's all kinds of social clubs that do good, but we set ourselves apart saying this is what we we believe. But the interesting thing to me is before we get to Hebrews 13.8, we're in Hebrews 11, and it talks about the heroes of the faith, talks about Abel, Abraham, the patriarchs of the faith, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, all of that's great. Then we get to verses 35 through 40, and we want to just kind of skip that, because this is what it says. Women received their dead to life again. Wait, what's that mean? It means that people were taken out and killed for their faith. No, we don't like that part. And it says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, in other words, they fled into the desert is what it's saying, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith and did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God having provided something better for us, there is an eternal life that God has provided for us. But they didn't get it easily. And we love the the early part of Hebrews 11 where it talks about the heroes of the faith and all these things that these people did, all the good things that happened and how their lives were great and how David, we love the fact that David sinned but he was still a man after God's own heart and he dies of old age in his bed. Oh, what a good story. But we forget about those that were sawn in half and were tortured and were enslaved and were imprisoned. Not because they didn't have faith, but because they held on to their faith. And so we have to understand, faith can be a destructive thing to us if we're going to hold on to it. Our life is not perfect. You accepting Jesus does not make your life perfect. And if you give just a little bit more, your life still may not be perfect. You may struggle. You may struggle with depression. You may struggle with loneliness. You may struggle with isolation. You may struggle with disease. You may struggle with the pain and the addiction and the brokenness of this world. And it doesn't mean you're not good enough. It means we live in a painful, broken world. But it makes our faith no less real and alive if we hold to it. The problem is, it's easy to go, forget it. If this is what faith is, I'll just be like them. Because I'm holding to it, and I still feel lonely. I'm holding to it, and I'm still struggling every day just to make ends meet. I'm holding to my faith, and yet, where is God in this? And he's saying, I'm right there with you. 
I never promised you perfection. I never promised you it would be easy. I'm only promising you it's worth it. That's what he's saying to right here. And we don't like that part. We just like the part that says, Jesus is the same. And we remember, Jesus heals people. Jesus pulls a coin out of a fish's mouth and pays the taxes. Jesus does these things. And I like the miracles. I like when Jesus turns water into wine and celebrates and has a party. I like that part. But I don't like the part that says they're imprisoned, they're in chains, they flee into the desert for their lives, they're sawn in two, they're tortured. I don't like that part. I just want the part that says, yeah, Jesus celebrates a party. Understanding our mission and vision is critical if we're going to help fulfill this. So our vision will be fulfilled as we corporately live out our mission. And if our vision is to expand the kingdom of God, to help people discover who God is, if that's our vision, then our mission is this. To help people discover God in an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So we create a safe place and we help them discover God. Are we always perfect at that? Nope. But if God can't be known outside a community, what am I doing to create community? We're in a culture here where people don't even want to know their neighbors. I grew up in a place where I knew every person on my street. I lived in Detroit at one point for a good portion of my life, and I knew all my immediate neighbors, both sides, both sides on the other side, right behind me, diagonal behind. I knew the people right there even. And then I moved to a small town in middle America, and it doesn't mean you're friends with everybody, but we knew everybody. We knew every person on our street. We knew the majority of the people in our town. But here, I come to this culture, and it's different. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just different. And so we're not a community-based culture. Some of you probably know your neighbors. I know the names of four immediate like neighbors that I can see from my houses. I know the names of four neighbors. I knew another one, but he moved. <laughs> and it's not that I haven't tried. I go out in my front yard. I wave to people as they drive by, and they just hurry up and pull in their garage. <laughs> Literally. Tracy and I laugh about it because we met one neighbor the day we moved in. We've lived there six years. They're still there. And they pull in their garage every time. <laughs> they pull in, pull in their garage, and don't get out of their car until the garage door is closed. <laughs> Makes us laugh. Finally got to talk to him this summer when our yards got mutually firebombed. Some of you heard about that. Got a chance to talk to him then. First time in six years. But community isn't what naturally happens here. So we have to work to make it happen. I've had people go, Jeff, I'm so tired of the week. I don't want to do something else. And it takes everything I can just to get to church on Sunday. I don't want to come out another day. I get that. And yet at the same time, if we're going to know God and discover God, and you have to decide where you're at with this, but if we're going to do that, we have to come together and begin to seek him. And we do that through relationship. We do that through the word. We do that through prayer. I shared a stat a couple weeks ago. 82% of people going to a church want to know that the church has small groups. 
only 14% of people involved in a church in America attend a small group. I don't want to go. just want to know that you have them and know that you're going to do things the way I want them done. That's what that's saying. The discrepancy there, 58%. 18% are at least genuine and honest and go, I don't care if you have small groups. I ain't going anyway. But 58% want to make sure that you have them, but they ain't going. They don't want to go and have to be real and vulnerable and honest with themselves or someone else. They don't want to show up for a barbecue at some stranger's house. I don't know how to act. Do I have to take my shoes off? I don't know. I don't know what to do. And yet, if we're going to know God, we have to do that in community. We have to know God in community. As we corporately live out our mission, our vision will be fulfilled. I said that just a moment ago. But here's the difficult thing is methods are going to change, but our mission remains the same. How we do that and how we deliver that and how we share that with the world, that's going to change. But our mission is constant, to create a safe place where people can discover who God is in an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Francis Chan said, we focus on what God wants us to do and forget the kind of people God wants us to be. God wants us to be a people in community. It's sometimes easier to write the check than it is to go and show up. Please continue to write the check. I've got to keep the lights on. But sometimes it's easier to do that. And sometimes we get to a certain point in life where that's all we can do physically or you know, age-wise, things change. People will say, some, you know, stuff about going to Mexico. I go, everyone in our church is invited to Mexico, but you know why I take mainly youth? Because we have a two-day drive each way, so that's four days in a car. We sleep on a concrete floor where the air conditioner may or may not work. It's 100-plus degrees outside. It's sandy. It's dusty. I tell people, if you wear contacts, you better bring glasses. If you've got allergies, bring your inhaler. It's going to be hot. It's going to be miserable. The rooms are going to be overcrowded. Now, who wants to go? Right. And so I say everybody's welcome, but I also go, you know what? Sometimes you get to a certain age, I would almost encourage you, this isn't the right trip for you. (laughs) We can find another trip, but this may not be the right one. And I say that because things in our life do change. Our circumstances change. How many of you have ever had one of those jobs where you worked 50 to 60 hours a week? That was your standard job. Look, almost a third, more than a third of you have had those jobs. Well, I've had those jobs, and there's jobs in my life where I've had to work that much, or I worked two jobs to make ends meet. Working two jobs to make ends meet when I had young kids and I was still a student, and we were trying to do, you know, we were living in a 700-square-foot apartment. It was a house, but it was a house pinned between other houses. And I remember having, one night we had 40-some kids at a youth event. 52 people were there, 40-some kids plus our leaders, in our house of 700 square feet. Every room in the house had people just sitting there. And I remember thinking, God, you know, I want to serve you, but this is getting really hard. (laughs) This is getting really hard. And that night, a parent came and saw and said, you need to buy a house. And I was like, thanks for the obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I hadn't thought of that. But in case you haven't looked, San Diego County... It's not exactly a cheap place to uh, purchase a house since we live right near a community called La Jolla and 
the average house price, starting price, the starter homes are $1.2 million at that time. That was your three-bedroom, one-bath. following week, my pastor calls me in and says, hey, what'd you say to so-and-so? And I was like, why did I offend them? And they're like, no, what did you say? And I said, I, I don't know why. And they said, because they said they're going to give you the down payment for a house this week. It's going to be a co-owned house and blah, 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 but they're going to give you the down payment. Someone wrote us, a, not us, they actually wrote the housing company, but a check for $130,000 so that we could get into a house. Now, I don't tell you that because, oh, Jeff, God really blessed you because, you know, later on we're, we had to force to sell the house and there were all kinds of other issues. Everybody got their money back. We're all good. But sometimes when we're willing to do really difficult stuff and it doesn't seem like there's any way out, somebody shows up with a check for $130,000 and just writes it over. And I didn't do anything to deserve it. Nobody owed me. I wasn't a better Christian than somebody else. There were other Christians that were struggling. At that same time, I was already going to the church in Mexico. You know how much the pastor there made a month? $13 a month. And we would go down and blow that much at the store on soda and Gatorade in a day. And he was making $13 a month. I wasn't better than or anything else, but sometimes, just sometimes, God comes through and he goes, hey, I see you, I recognize you, I hear you. And he does that through people. It's so easy for us to feel like I'm alone in this, but understanding God still sees us. In order for us to fulfill the kingdom of God, to fulfill our vision, to grow and expand it. We live out our mission. And in order to do that, we have to know what our mission says. We have to learn it. We have to believe in it. And those are the things that I ask people to come here to do. I say, I try to keep it really simple. We have four basic tenets of our faith. And if you can believe these, we're at least on the same page and can worship together. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's our healer. He's our baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and he's our soon-coming king. He's coming back. Will that be in my lifetime? I don't know. But you know what? I'm not going to sit and pour over and try to figure out the magic formula. What I'm going to do is live every day and try to expand the kingdom of God so that the point at which people meet Jesus, they're ready to meet Jesus. So I can help you, and I can teach you about living it out, but it is entirely up to you if you believe in what we're doing, who we are becoming, and what we are called to. So if you don't believe those things, that's okay. You can continue to worship here. But you're always going to feel like, oh, he needs to do this and he needs to do that because we're going to be on different pages. So do you know the mission? Here's my conclusion questions today. Do you know the mission of Gathering Place? Three years ago, when we took two churches and brought them together, people didn't have a clue of who we were, where we were going, or what we were doing. But I was trying to help people understand this isn't just pulled out of thin air. God had a plan and a purpose for these two congregations to become one and as such to impact and change our community. It's not about us just really liking each other and being more comfortable. It's about are we reaching into and changing the world around us? Do you believe 
in the mission and that it will help us to get to fulfill the vision of expanding the kingdom of God. And finally, the big question is, how do you as an individual put that into practice this week? How do you help people come to know God by creating an environment around you where people can learn to accept that love, that acceptance, and that forgiveness. Because it's really easy for me to put up walls and say, if you don't do this and you don't do that, I grew up in that, so it's really easy for me to want to go back to that place of you've got to do things my way. You've got to be here every week. You've got to tithe. You've got to do this. It's really easy for me to come up with a big list of rules. And what's funny, as much as you think people don't like that, churches that do that thrive. The more rules, the more restrictions, the more you go, you got to vote this way, you got to talk this way, you got to act this way, you got to be this way. The more you do that, the more people like, seem to flock to those churches, and yet they're bound by something, and the next generation rebels against it. The more you go, hey, we got to discover this together and understand and learn who Christ is, and it has to be based on love, then suddenly that's hard because that's not just, tell me the four rules and I follow them and then I'm in. I want that. And yet at the same time, that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to be free and to walk in him and to struggle with that and to see what that looks like. To say, I'm not being fed here. I'm sorry. Open your Bible and read it. Sometimes people say, we need this. And I'll go, hey, that's great. Why don't you start a small Bible study and see who comes? Because then you can really go deep. It's great. I'm giving you permission today to go start your own Bible study this week. Do it. You've got my permission. I'll get it going. Get three or four people. I'll even throw it in the bulletin. But don't tell me you're not getting this. What it is is you're not getting what you want. There's a subtle difference, but there's a difference between being fed and getting what you want. It's true. It's easy to take your toddler to, you know, the place where there's a salad bar and go, here's what's here, and all they want is french fries. You're feeding them. They're getting food. They're even getting nutritious food. Still not what they want, which is french fries. Just because you're not getting what you want doesn't mean you're not being fed. It means you're not getting what you want. Feed yourself. I'm here to give you direction and insight. I'm going to continue to do that. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and without compromise as long as God calls me here. And eventually, I'm going to get called somewhere else or I'm going to die. So I ain't going to be here forever. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to pour out my heart and my soul into giving you what, you, what God has called me to give you. Not necessarily what you want, but maybe it is what you need. Let's be a unified congregation and begin to really impact our world. The next, through September and October, I'm breaking down and defining the words that are in our mission statement. Because you think we're all on the same page, but we're not necessarily all on the same page because words mean different things to different people. And that's what we're going to do for the next two months. Some of you are like, but I just want to get in the Word. Then get in the Word. (laughs) Every message, every word of that mission statement is based on a scripture. We didn't just... Mm, pull a bunch of words out of one of those little magnetic poetry sets and that's what it said. But 
time and thought and prayer went into, how am I going to express this so that people are challenged and changed? Because it's my job to challenge you and to help you change, but you have to decide whether or not you're leaving that behind and moving forward. Father God, I thank you for the congregation that is gathering place. I thank you for the way that you love us, challenge us, and grow us. God, I thank you for the men who were at men's breakfast yesterday that I just heard over and over again afterwards how much they needed to hear that message of step up and be the men of our congregation. I thank you, God, that you're taking us not in a new direction, but you've got something new and fresh for us. God, let us be a people who really live out our mission statement in order to fulfill the vision, which is to expand the kingdom of God. Let us be a people who begin to invite, begin to include, begin to love people so much that they want to see and experience and discover what we have. God, for those who are displaced from church, let us be bold enough to bring and invite and include. God, for those who are seeking something more, let us be a people who love them into this place. God, let us stop having our judgment first and our acceptance second. But let's have our acceptance first and instead of judgment, showing them the ways they need to grow and learn and discover who you are. God, I thank you for your love and your grace. I pray just a blessing over our congregation today. God, for those who are sick, I pray for healing. And Lord, we have people in our congregation that are seriously ill. We pray for healing today. God, we have people with that I know that have cancer, people that I know that have Parkinson's, people that I know that are struggling with MS. God, I pray for healing in those bodies today. God, I know that there are people in our church that are looking for new jobs that need employment, and I pray for that, that you would open those doors today. God, I know that there are those who are contemplating moves of job-related and other things. God, I pray that you give them wisdom. Whatever they've already decided, Lord, either confirm that in their heart or let them know that you have something else for them. God, I know that there are those who are financially strapped and strained today. God, I pray that your provision would more than cover it. God, I pray that we would be a people who open our home and open our lives to one another. Let that be who our congregation is. Let us start seeking that out in order to develop and deepen relationships and community. In your name, amen. We do have a softball game, doubleheader tomorrow night. If it doesn't rain, we would love for you to come out. We still have a perfect record. Come out, cheer us on. <laughs> 6.30 and 7.45 at Underwood Park. And um, I've already, a couple people... Um, have talked to me about, hey, I'd love to get involved. We're, we'll do another league in the spring. I think we might even do a two teams. That looks like four. Two teams in the spring because we have so much demand, which is awesome because it's a great way for us to just build unity and have fun together. So come on out, cheer us on, consider joining our spring teams. I love you and I'm glad you're here. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.